Hi everyone, happy summer. Well, at least in this hemisphere. If you're in the other hemisphere, I suppose it's happy winter, winter solstice. Anyway, wherever you are, welcome to another episode of Torpid Liver and Other Symptoms of Poor Communication. I can't believe it's been almost a year since I started this podcast. And it's been so gratifying to see the growth in subscribers, um, ongoing listeners, everybody who's come along for the ride. I've got folks in 13 countries who tune in regularly. And for that, I am truly grateful. Um, most importantly, I hope you find it uh, not only entertaining, but uh, helpful to your career or to your progress as someone who wants to be a more effective communicator and overcome some fears around communicating. In this episode, I want to talk about what's not being said. And what I'm referring to is the power of nonverbal communication. So let's get underway, shall we? Here we go. I've always been fascinated with reading people, if you will, and the patterns of behavior associated with those people. I'm one of those folks who sees patterns that others may not pick up on, whether it's obscure patterns in nature, in fabrics, in everything. I know some people think it's an obsessive compulsive thing, and maybe it is, I don't know. Uh, but I find it to be helpful because it shows itself in being able to read people, and I can do that fairly well. It's not perfect. Uh, but I can read things because people show their patterns in everything that they do. Um, even sometimes things that they don't necessarily see in themselves. I'm sure it's annoying when I call it out in other people, but it could be annoying because I'm right <laughs> or not. Besides, I digress. Uh, anyway, I do read patterns of behavior in people, and I know that other people do it too. Sometimes they just don't realize that they're naturally good at it. They just don't uh, pick up on it. I've always been fascinated by these cues and the clues that people give off, often without realizing they're doing it. Now, I have to tell you a quick story. I began my college career as an advertising major. I'm very creative, and I wanted to create the world's most amazing advertisements. Unfortunately, there's this whole business side to advertising, and once I got into the nitty-gritty of the coursework, I really wasn't too happy with my decision. But as an elective, I took a class in nonverbal communication by then a, I think, relatively new professor, uh, Dr. John Daly at the University of Texas. I thought Dr. Daly was fabulous, a very engaging educator, and in fact, he's still there after all this time. And maybe it was his content delivery in part, but whatever it was, I absolutely fell in love with nonverbal communication and all things related to it. So much so that I changed my major because that topic fell within what was then a speech major at UT Austin. Today it would be considered a communication studies track, but anyway, I liked it so much I changed my major. Now over the years, I've met a few other stellar practitioners in this area. I'd like to have one or two of them on the podcast in the future, but for now, it's just you and me talking about it. What's valuable about understanding nonverbal communication is that you can use it to understand so much else about what's going on during a conversation, and sometimes it's in direct conflict to what's being said. 
Our bodies, as you may know, speak volumes without uttering sounds. Now, you can also use the power of nonverbal communication to make yourself come across as more authoritative, to be perceived differently, even if you're feeling nervous on the inside. You know, it helps to practice it so that you become better at it and it, and it becomes second nature. But of course, as you're doing that, you also become naturally more confident. Uh, and I'm not a coach in those areas. Well, that's not true. I've coached some leaders uh, to become more confident communicators, but I don't do it for a living. It's just part of my job periodically. Uh, now look, there's a lot of readily accessible information about nonverbal communication. I think one of the things that is heard but conveys more than the words themselves is your pitch. Now I have a pretty raspy voice. I happen to be a little manic. I speak rapidly and I've done that my whole life. Um, <clears throat> and I, I have this little graveliness to my voice. So people may read something into that. That's just a function of my voice probably yelling too much as a uh, as a dance uh, leader in high school uh, and a pom-pom girl and um, and years of yelling at football games. I've probably put a permanent rasp in my voice. But people can perceive that a lot of different ways. Um, people read things into your accent. I mean, they read things into everything. But pitch in particular is interesting because you can, you know, if you, if you come across as too loud, like you're yelling, um, or if you sound very high-pitched, sometimes that can convey fear or impatience or other things to a listener, depending on the cultural background of the listener and how they perceive those things. And there are differences, as you know, globally in how we perceive uh, those kinds of nuances. Now, if you speak too slowly or in a very low voice, you might sound lethargic or lazy Maybe you sound like you're bored. Could be lots of things. You can also sound abrupt, indifferent, disengaged, distracted. There are so many things that people can read into your intonation. Just that one thing. Now again, what you say might be in complete opposition, but you're going to come across differently because of that pitch. Now that's just one element. There are so many elements, and I want to talk about those too. So let's get into those next. Now let's talk about the eyes for a minute. Many of us have heard the expression that our eyes are windows to our souls. The way people express themselves through their eyes is quite telling. Having been through the pandemic this past year, the eyes have become even more important in nonverbal communication because we've not been able to see our smiles. We can hear intonation, but we've not been able to see the lower half of our faces. You know, we humans are smart and we're used to looking for clues. So of late, if you couldn't hear someone laughing through their masks, you could see how their eyes and eyebrows were moving. Now, you know, it could be whether their eyes were crinkling around the edges in ways that tell if they're smiling or something else. I've thought more this past year about Muslim women who are fully covered in the way that they dress, except for their eyes. And some of those women, depending on their own cultures, wear the most elaborate eye makeup. Because it's the one thing you can see on their bodies, they look so incredibly beautiful, even though all you see are the eyes. I find that to be a really special uh, form of self-expression. Now, 
you may have seen or participated in studies in the past to see how well you can read people's moods simply by seeing their eyes. Most of us are pretty good at it because we've learned it from a very early age. You can just look at a set of eyes and you can usually tell whether they're happy, melancholy, afraid, angry, or agitated. Now imagine if you're giving a, a public speech or you're giving a talk to a, a group of folks and you're trying to convince people that you know your stuff and you're trying to convince them that you're relaxed and happy. But your eyes will give you away because maybe the audience can see too much of the whites of your eyes. And if you've ever seen crime drama programs, and there are a lot of them you can see in the U.S., um, you, you see people with, who look like you know they've committed a heinous act, and you can see the whites of their eyes all the way around their eye. That looks scary. It looks like they're about ready to go off on you. That is a very strong clue that something ain't right. They are not in a good place. Um, you know, or sometimes you can see that the eyebrows and the corners of eyes are turned downward because you've tightened up your face out of fear, and sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it. Um, sometimes people will squint and it could just be a function of them not being able to see if they're looking at a teleprompter, but other times they're squinting for other reasons. It's an expression of discomfort. Um, you know, and if you're someone who deals with self-doubts and you're afraid that people will think you're a fake, which is really common in successful people, they're driven, that, that fear drives them to keep achieving. Um, sometimes that fear will come out of nowhere and it's gonna show up somewhere and often it shows up in your eyes and how they appear to people. Now, other people obviously pick up on that. And if it's extreme, they will not hear what you're saying, but they will remember how you appeared while you were saying it. Now, here's a cool thing you may or may not be aware of. When people are attracted to one another, like, you know, a new, a new relationship, people are attracted to one another, their eye pupils tend to dilate. And if it happens to you, you don't feel it, you don't know it's happening, but it does. Now, if you've ever had an eye exam, I had one recently where the doctor dilated your pupils as part of the exam. You know how really, really awful that is. It's okay while you're in a darkened room, but then it's terrible for a couple of hours afterward and you have to wear those awful cheap sunglasses they give you until you can find your real sunglasses and even those don't work. And oh my God, it's my least favorite thing about an eye exam. And, and, uh, Anyway, sorry, I digress once again. You can tell I really don't like that particular test at the eye doctor. But the point is, dilated pupils actually make you look more attractive. Now, in that, that instance that I just described, it's really uncomfortable because you've got too much light coming into your eyes. But it does make you appear more attractive. So if you're ever taking a headshot or a special photo, one where your eyes can really be seen clearly, Having larger pupils at the time the photo is made will attract more people to you. It could literally influence how someone perceives you in a positive way just with that one little trick. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Now, I've noticed it a lot in colored contact lenses. Years ago, I used to wear colored contact lenses for fun. My eyes are a medium brown color, but I used to like wearing hazel ones or light brown contacts. Um, just to lighten up my eyes, or I would wear green ones. And the way that the coloring was done on the contact lenses, it made it appear that my pupils were larger. They weren't, it was just the clear part of the contact lens where my eye was seeing through them. Uh, it was an illusion. But I used to prefer taking photos when I was wearing the light brown contact lenses or the hazel ones because of that little magic. 
I always looked better in those pictures. And some people would look at that and perceive me as being nicer or more friendly. It's just a very subtle thing, but it works. And it just shows you how our brain and, and all of our senses pick up on all these nonverbal things and it influences uh, how we perceive communication and how we interpret uh, what's being said or what's being, um, um, if, it's, if we're not being said, what's being expressed to us through other ways. Now that is the power of nonverbal communication. And I'm just talking about your eyes. There is so much more. Appearance is one of those nonverbal cues that I really wish wasn't a thing, in air quotes. I mean, we should just be able to be who we are, right? Our ancestry, our skin color, how we wear our hair, whether we wear jewelry, how tall we are, none of it should matter. And mores do seem to be changing slowly, thank goodness, because I know from where I sit in North America, um, for all the reasons you may have seen in the media over the past many months, um, some things have been pretty messed up and not addressed as they should have been hundreds of years ago, if not at least decades ago. But with all that said, um, there are other aspects of appearance that influence how people perceive you. It can be as simple as the colors you're wearing. Now, I forget where I read this, but years ago, I had read that American first ladies, the wives of our national presidents, used to wear three power colors to various inauguration events. They'd wear red, blue, especially a very vivid cobalt, deep blue or navy, and white. Now, those three colors are the colors of the American flag. So there's obviously something symbolic in it for other Americans. But those colors on their own and in the right hues can make somebody really stand out. And that's why first ladies, at least decades ago, not so much in recent history, would tend to wear those colors. Another example of making a silent but powerful statement is when Princess Diana in the United Kingdom stepped out for a special event with Prince Charles and the royal family. Uh, and this was before uh, Diana and Charles were married, so she wasn't yet a princess. And there were certain mores about what she should and shouldn't wear, including color. And black was one of those colors you were not supposed to wear. But she wore this fabulous black formal dress uh, and you know was photographed in it. And oh my goodness, did it get attention. Now I can only assume that was deliberate. I don't remember the whole history on it, but she made a clear statement without making a verbal point just by wearing that black dress. Now sometimes my husband and I kid around about things like power outfits, you know, or power jewelry. I'm wearing my power jewelry today, or he's wearing a power tie, or I'm wearing power eyeglasses, and even power shoes, like your best shoes. Now we're kidding, sorta, because when you have to make a certain impression on people and you want to convey key information, the colors you wear and the accessories you wear will make a difference. How comfortable you look uh, in whatever you're wearing and how polished you feel will influence other people. It's human nature. Now, they might read something into what you're wearing, but if you feel confident in those things, it will convey to other people without saying a word, and then your message is more likely to be perceived positively. 
And you got to remember that when you need to be in front of people for key meetings, if you're doing public speaking. Anytime you feel like you're well put together, you feel more confident. And that might seem really superficial, but we all know it works. It really does. Now, I'm not talking about confirming or uh, conforming to a particular culture or a way of being that doesn't suit you. You know, if it flies in the face of your own cultural heritage, that doesn't make sense. But the things that make you feel your best will communicate to others without saying a word. Now, here are a few other examples of nonverbal communication that will tell people more than you could ever say. Blocking is one of those things. Once upon a time, I interviewed for a job with a person who literally sat across from me with her laptop open so her body was blocked from me and her face was almost blocked from me, actually. She was also constantly looking at her cell phone, which I think in an interview is pretty disrespectful. And I thought it was the biggest waste of my time. You know, I spent 45 minutes with this person on the first interview and I thought, God, that was weird. Uh, well, guess what? It turns out she wanted me to come back for more interviews. I never would have guessed that from her behavior or the blocking techniques that she was using. But her blocking said more about her than me because I was invited back and eventually I was made a job offer. Now, I don't think this person meant to do it, but she left me with a very unfavorable first impression. You know, and I hesitated to even go back for the other interviews, but of course I was meeting other people at that point and things went better. Uh, now, I don't know why she was doing that. If she was protecting herself from me or from some insecurity, it was very strange. But at the moment that it happened, it made me feel disinterested and also devalued, which is terrible. If you want to make people feel valued, you don't want to block, first of all. But second, you want to lean in. That's a nonverbal cue that you're paying attention and that you're interested in what they have to say. Now, this is like the dilated pupils example. The same is true with leaning in. People who are interested in each other, like in dating situations, will tend to lean in toward each other and they don't even realize they're doing it. But if you do that intentionally without, you know, being caricaturous about, caricature-ish about it, then that, that conveys that you care about people and you're listening to what they have to say. Now, another thing you can do to your benefit or detriment is if you want to communicate disinterest or if you are genuinely disinterested, turn your body slightly away from the person uh, to whom you're speaking. It's sort of like having one foot out the door. Now, it is a rude thing to do in my humble opinion, but like I said, you can use it to your advantage. If someone is talking to you nonstop and you need to get back to whatever it was you were doing before, start turning your body slightly away from the person. You'll start giving off a nonverbal cue that you wanna end the conversation. Now there's another form of nonverbal comms that works well if someone comes to you, like your, your cubicle or your office, uh, and you're trying to get something done and they wanna gossip or whatever it might be. Now if you don't wanna come out and say, go away, just stand up. Stand up and then start walking away. Now if they follow you because they wanna continue the conversation, that's fine. Go to the water cooler, go to the restroom, go get coffee, do whatever it is you were doing when you walked away but then start walking back toward their desk or their office. And then when you get there, you stop. And it's your way of leaving them there, basically. You, 
you sort of end the conversation, whether you literally say, I got to go or whatever, you've now dropped them off back at their desk and you walk away and go back to what you were doing. You're giving off all kinds of nonverbal clues without saying, hey, get the hell away from me. I'm busy right now. You know, there are nonverbal cues and clues for days, my friends. I'm just touching on them. The thing to remember with many nonverbal cues is sometimes they're cultural. Or sometimes in the case of someone with crossed arms, they're not blocking you or blocking off themselves. They're just cold, right? The room is cold. Sometimes you have to pay attention to more than one nonverbal clue to understand what's really going on. And fortunately, most of us do it pretty well. But with the examples I just gave you, there's a couple things like that that you can do, that you can practice and get better at, that give other people nonverbal clues to influence them in the way that you want to influence them. Now, speaking of that, if you, uh, if you want to be perceived as open and have people really pay attention to you, you need to have an open posture. That means things like open palms face up. Uh, that makes you perceived as more open. Uh, a wider stance, instead of you know, having your feet right together, uh, that conveys strength and confidence. If you're hunched over a podium when you speak, you are giving off a very different vibe and not a good one. That is a, that's a definite sign of insecurity. One of the things I like to do is watch television commercials and videos on social media. I can usually tell who's received formal media training, and you can try spotting those people too. They tend to use the same set of hand and arm movements that convey confidence and openness. They don't use wildly large gestures, but they rather stay controlled within the space closest to their torsos. Same kind of movements in a repeated fashion. So unless you're trying to be funny on purpose, you can practice those same kinds of movements, or you can consider seeking professional media coaching to help develop those same habits, because you will come across as more open and confident. And my last tip is to keep your chin up. Literally keep your chin up. Now, I'm not talking about sky high, just a confident chin pointed forward, you know, and there's nothing wrong with looking down periodically to gather your thoughts. An occasional silent moment without words can be a really powerful thing. You know, sometimes I look down uh, when I want to, to gather my thoughts and also to kind of, oh, how do I say it? You kind of magnetize people back towards you. If you take a very quiet pause, people will stop and they pay attention to you all over again because they're waiting for you to say the next thing. So it's, a, it's an opportunity to refocus their attention on you and also to refocus your own thoughts. But then, of course, you want to lift your chin again and then move forward confidently. I have just touched on the surface of the power of nonverbal communication. So if you're interested in learning more, check out Amazon or wherever you are in the world, your local bookseller online or storefront, and uh, check out that topic because you'll find textbooks and you will also find a number of self-help books on the topics. There's been a lot of research, particularly over the last 50 years or so, that I think you'll find fascinating and beneficial. Now, before we wrap up, remember, if you, can, uh, if you have ideas uh, for a future podcast or you have questions you want to ask me, you can contact me through the message button on my website, torpidliver.com. I promise to respond quickly 
and your topic might be featured in a future podcast. So until then, stay safe, be well, and keep rocking.